Welcome to another edition of Fragments of Silicon. Usually we have intros at the top of the show, but sometimes we don't. Anyway, so, yeah, yeah, welcome (laughs) to another um, second edition of uh, Fragments of Silicon. Usually we have these for European interviews, sometimes not, but anyway, um, this time around we've got, well, we've got uh, three people here. Um, We're welcoming back to the program Dan Edelman. Hello. Yes. Um, and this time he's got with him, uh, forgive me if I mispronounce either of your names. Uh, I'm known to be terrible when, uh, when it comes to <laughs> names. Um, but we've got Louis-Felix Cachon and Patrick J. Mondou of uh, Borealis Games. Sounds Hello. perfect. Yeah, got it, got it right. <laughs> excellent, excellent. All right, so since this is a, um, one of our secondary shows. We'll get right into the interview, um, and we'd like to start off by asking, what got you guys interested in video games uh, in the first place? Oh, big question. We played when uh, we were a little boy, I think. Uh, maybe it, it was our dream. My dad uh, always told me that uh, I would do nothing with this in my life, but uh, yes, I proved him wrong uh, since... Uh, this is my second game company, actually. Uh, but uh, what I like the most is that you can find uh, almost everything in the game. You have art, uh, uh, storytelling, you have sounds, you have design mechanics. You can play a lot with emotion in many, many ways. So I think that uh, this is what uh, attracts me the most uh, in video games. Mm. Yeah, same here. I'd have to say that uh, for sure it's uh, like a some sort of a childhood dream uh, come true like many of the game developers out there uh, never actually wanted to get into game development I, I kind of just got there uh, uh, naturally uh, going from from job job or you know uh, school program to another and eventually I, I found my, myself uh, studying uh, studying game design but more in a like a theoretical approach and the uh, mm-hmm. Eventually, I got a, a shot at uh, the game industry, and I, I just got hooked. And uh, so that's that's how my story began. But I, I'm really an old school gamer. I started started playing with the the Atari and the ColecoVision uh, consoles uh, back in the days. And uh, you know, I remember starting uh, starting programming just by using my my Vic 20, my Commodore Vic 20 uh, com- computer uh, at home. So uh, I, I think I I have a seen all the, the evolution of that, that wonderful industry and uh, I, I, I could not be more uh, more uh, happy to, to be part of it. Yes, I think that the first time I talk about uh, being a game developer is when I, I start programming on my Commodore 64. I just realized that I could make anything if I become better and better, so uh, it always stay in the corner of my mind and uh, yes, uh, when I had the chance, I just jumped into it. 
Hmm. Well, it's good to see that you've kept the passion going on for all these years. Um, and what were some of you, like your um, early influences growing up? Uh, for my part, I think this is the NES, uh, the first Nintendo system. Uh, uh, one of my neighbors had one, and I played the Super Mario Bros. And I, uh, it was totally amazing. So uh, uh, it was with that console that I first started. I could play uh, up to 18 hours a day. So, so uh, it was a lot of playtime uh, for me, and I was totally addicted to that. But I had this period when the PS2 and the Xbox, uh, the first Xbox, uh, I don't want to call it the Xbox one, uh, the first Xbox it came out, yes, that I didn't play out at all. So I had this break and uh, uh, it came back uh, afterward uh, uh, when I, I, I used to be a DJ and uh, radio entertainer, but in French, of course, uh, here in Quebec. So uh, I did a lot of things and uh, finally uh, I returned to my... Uh, old passion uh, which was uh, video games. I, I think my influence just like uh, Felix said uh, my, my main influence has to be from the the more, more old school era of uh, video games. I, I know that uh, for one thing uh, it took me a while to play games that were not uh, first party Nintendo just because when I was a kid it seemed to me like uh, these games had it all like they they, 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 they really could nail the uh, you know, uh, both the design and, and uh, the uh, the experience. It's still the uh, influence or design decision, actually. Yeah, well, well that's, the, exactly, that's exactly what I wanted, uh, wanted to tell. Uh, to, to show you how, how much of a, a reference uh, Nintendo uh, or how much of an influence it was uh, for me, I often uh, tell the guys uh, at work that uh, in case of a doubt, what would Nintendo do? And that's my, my motto all, all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, as as a former Nintendo employee myself, I'll caution you that that's not always the right <laughs> question to ask. But uh, but no, yeah, no, for, yeah for they, they do they do some it. things really well. But hey, hey, yes, hey, absolutely. I, the business the business part of Nintendo, I I, I I can't argue with you, Dan. But uh, the first party development uh, teams at Nintendo are pretty strong. Uh, they've been oh, they, I they've, know, uh, I'm they've done uh, some some weird uh, weird things uh, more recently, but. Overall, uh, there are always uh, fun, fun games to, to look at. Oh, absolutely, yeah, and, and I think you know I was kind of being a little bit facetious there, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, from a game design perspective, um, I I still um, very much admire the uh, their willingness to take risks. Um, I remember back in the Wii days, you know, with the motion controls, um, they were very willing to try some crazy ideas that. They weren't sure if it would work. Like the, I, I don't know if anyone remembers like the Mar the music maker where you're, oh, you conduct an orchestra, and there was um, all kinds of really weird games um, on the whole we fit balance board idea. All all of these things were just, you know, no one else was doing those. No. Mm -hmm. And I, I got into those games, but there certainly were a lot of them whenever I was looking for Wii games. Yeah, totally. And uh, other pretty good era, I think, was uh, the era of the PC DOS games, uh, when uh, uh, you could play to uh, Doom 2, uh, the first Doom, uh, uh, the first XCOM. Uh, there was a lot of uh, uh, new design that were coming, uh, not as polished as Nintendo did, but uh, 
I learned a lot of things from uh, the, this era, actually. It was a, a very good time uh, for me uh, back in those days. And I still, time to time, uh, go back to my uh, Dustbox program, which is an emulator, and just uh, run some old game that I used to play, and I still like them. So uh, I think they're uh, yeah, very good. And um, how did the two of you first meet up? Oh, uh, go for it, Pat. <laughs> you, you think I, I tell the, the story better? No, yeah, I, yeah, I think. I'm just, we're just uh, <laughs> we're uh, we're uh, we met at, at university actually. Uh, I I was from uh, I I I was doing development back then in the web. Uh, so I, I was doing um, you know back end and front end for the the first uh, real content management systems out there. Uh, very old school uh, uh, websites. Uh, and uh, I wanted to, um, I wanted to, uh, to do something maybe not not better, but uh, I, I wanted to do something more uh, intellectual, uh, intellectual or more um, more advanced. I wanted to push the limits for uh, forward in, in terms of uh, you know my my knowledge and what I could do. And so I, I got into this program. It's a nice program called the Interactive Media uh, a Bachelor Degree uh, in Montreal. And they, they, they were all about uh, you know new new approaches for communication and media in general. So we 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 got to do all sorts of weird things with uh, sensors and, and electronics. Uh, and so we would build our own controllers basically and and gesture controls. Uh, back back when uh, Nintendo uh, Wii was just a rumor, you know. So um, and we and we we had a lot of fun and uh, we. You know, when that ended, we went uh, uh, to uh, we 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 kept on studying uh, in game design more specifically, um, and eventually we we went each our way. I I, I went I joined the Game Loft uh, to make it mobile games, and uh, uh, Felix started uh, his own company called Atfist Studio, which uh, made an awesome game, by the way. Uh, Felix called uh, Sanfoy. And uh, it's only years after that that we we uh, started talking about uh, doing business together. So actually, yes, we went to school at the university together to do this interactive media program. After that, we we uh, were still at the same school at the Univers- University of Montreal in game design. After that, we teach a little bit a little bit oh, together yeah, at the college we degree. Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Just uh, forgot yeah, about that before we start. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All days, and uh, but uh, when we were at the university, we had uh, this class called uh, Advanced Algorithm, and uh, we had this idea to uh, create a game uh, in which you are a magician and you 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 could do pretty much whatever they you want. But uh, it was a little bit too soon, and uh, we were not as experienced as we are now. So uh, we just postponed it until we started uh, Borealis in uh, September 2014. And so what was the final push for you to um, make your own company? Oh, uh, it's, it's, it's really when uh, I don't know. I, I think that uh, first off, uh, I, I I really don't want to um, I really don't want to spit on the uh, AAA industry or big companies out there because there are some awesome games and most of the games I play are actually AAA companies or big budget uh, big, uh, big budget games and all, but. Um, uh, when, after working there for a while, uh, you kind of you know, get a, a feeling that most of the deci- decisions are 
based on uh, making money, basically. And uh, it's one thing that I I felt it would be nice to get away from. Uh, and at the time when uh, Felix uh, approached me with the idea of the project, I had just I was just uh, a few a few weeks. Uh, after uh, it was just a few weeks after one of my projects was was cancelled and it was a, a really awesome project that had some nice you know, more uh, innovative uh, things to it and I, it kind of bummed me that uh, the company would would prefer to go for projects that are more uh, uh, how would I say this more more mainstream basically so uh, it kind of uh, opened my eyes to the reality of, of that but although like I said I, I do love AAA games yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've we've got some friends in the AAA sector. Um, they're good people, but oh, yeah. but I definitely see the um, you know more. This is another fallacy. Yeah, yeah, the more economically minded decisions because, well, I mean, uh, just look at all the stuff that's been surrounding Deus Ex: Mankind Divided, for example. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. For uh, for me, uh, Borealis is my fourth company. Uh, I started uh, web companies when I was in my 18th. After that, uh, I started uh, event production companies, uh, uh, organizing and marketing shows and uh, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I came out of school, I started uh, Art Defy Studio with uh, two other friends. Uh, we made uh, the game, uh, like Patrick said, Southwest, Tales of Werewolf, uh, which went pretty well for uh, my first game. I think we sold over 300,000 copies of this one. It was about the culture and folklore of Quebec here. Um, uh, but uh, it took us four years and a half to, uh, yes, just to launch a game. And uh, I, I was paid less than uh, when I was a student. So uh, it was it was very hard time. So um, uh, after that, I just sold my share. And uh, I, I started teaching again, so at the university. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was thinking about, yes, do you really want to jump back into this? Because you know it's really hard. But uh, I had a feeling that I would regret it if I, I yes, I didn't do it. So uh, uh, yes, I just talked with Pat because I didn't want to start this alone. Uh, just the uh, administrative stuff uh, and everything uh, take a lot of time, so I could not be a full-time designer and programmer and an industrial and all that stuff. So I need a, a very, very, very good partner with that. So I just asked Pat, who, uh, which had a lot of experience, and uh, he, he was just coming out of uh, uh, this game, uh, which was canned uh, at Game Loss so cancelled. So. Uh, uh, I think the timing was right, so uh, we jumped back uh, uh, based on that, and uh, so far, uh, uh, we don't regret it, huh? Right, Pat? <laughs> no, no <laughs> certainly not. <laughs> no, certainly not. Right. And um, is, um, well, first of all, how do you pronounce the game? Mages of Mistralia? Mages of Mistralia. Like images of <laughs> Australia, but you have to change some letter into that. Yeah. yeah or so just mum. Yeah. <laughs> we both call it mum. This is the abbreviation, but now we really prefer images of Australia. Before that. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, um, kind of what the what the name actually means. It's. Um, um, I don't know if if your listeners have been following the game at all or 
it, it probably might be a good idea to give some context about why we're here and, and what it's all about. So, oh, so, Ma- so Mages of Mistralia is set in the, uh, the kingdom of Ma- Mistralia, uh, or the world of Mistralia, and it centers on the story of a mage there, a young mage named Zia, who um, discovers one day, kind of like in the beginning of Harry Potter, she discovers one day that she has magic abilities. Um, but in this universe, magic is known to exist, but it's uh, very rare and it's illegal. And so she goes into hiding and she uh, starts to teach herself the ways of magic so that she can, um, so that she can learn uh, all about how to be a proper mage. And uh, yeah, so it progresses from there. And as she learns the ways of magic, um, really, kind of the the key feature of this kind of action adventure is that she learns how to design her own spells, and one of the you know the core mechanic there is giving players the freedom to design uh, pretty much any spell that their imagination can come up with. That's certainly a lofty task. <laughs> it's yeah. that's easy. Ninety nine cents <laughs> on the app store. Done. Oh, well, uh, is the magic procedurally generated? So so the way Uh, the the magic system works, um, do you, Pat, maybe you should take this. Okay. Uh, I don't mind. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, all right, you go ahead. All right. Uh, Well, anyways, yeah, it is uh, procedurally generated. What what happens is... uh, we kind of, we kind of having a um, having a background in, in development. Both me and, and Felix and and others from our team, we kind of got uh, inspiration from the scripting tools that that exist out there for prototyping games and, and making uh, I don't know like uh, like behavior trees for for uh, for enemies in, in games and stuff like that. So we we kind of based our uh, off of uh, scripting languages like like uh, the one they have uh, they had actually in the Unreal, uh, but I I I think they they, they renamed Blueprint. it. Blueprint. was called. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's Blueprint now. Okay, okay. It had some other name uh, before. I can't remember which. And uh, other t- uh, tools like Virtuals, uh, which are you know basically visual programming languages. And so we we wanted our uh, our spellcasting uh, feature, uh, spellcrafting feature to be to feel like you're uh, actually coding or like you're actually scripting and giving instructions to your spell so that, that, so that the players will kind of experience what it is to actually be a mage. Because we, we discussed it, you know, uh, years before we started the project, how, mm-hmm. uh, me and Felix, how, how bad or how, uh, how shallow was the explanation of magic in pretty much all the, 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 uh, the game, the not only the game worlds out there, but uh, also the uh, fiction, all, all the fiction universe uh, that that you can think of. Uh, maybe with the exception of, of Harry Potter, which kind of uh, already uh, explained uh, mostly of uh, how, uh, for instance, you use words and emotions to channel your in- energy and all of that. But we wanted a more, uh, maybe more uh, intellectual approach to that, where uh, the player can really feel like that that he like he has to know. And understand mechanisms and but, uh, not in the way that it's gonna give you an heartache. So, uh, this no, 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 exactly. Yes, uh, our, uh, our I'll be afraid, everyone. <laughs> this is very fun to do that, and you don't have to know our, programming. Yes, to play our game. Our, 
yeah, our challenge was to, to give that experience to the player, but still make it feel like you are an, a major apprentice and that you, you learn all of that. So it's, uh, so you feel, you feel uh, not only rewarded, but you feel very uh, uh, smart uh, getting to, to, to uh, uh, design your spells because you figure out each of these little steps and mechanisms one by one and eventually it becomes just as natural as it would be for Harry Potter to cast a fireball or uh, not a fireball but uh, any any other spell and uh, we we wanted to uh, to be able to transform the experience of of uh, mastering uh, these behaviors uh, and open it to pretty much any market or any uh, public so it's a kind of a a uh, very accessible game at the t- uh, at the same time, which is I think uh, the novelty here. The big challenge uh, to achieve that was really to have a very uh, complex uh, uh, spell system, but not a complicated one. So uh, we needed to uh, give it like uh, eight iterations or something like that, just to yes, to have the one that we have now. And I think now that uh, yes, we just nailed it. Uh, uh, like we saw tax uh, people were really really excited and uh, uh, they just got it first then so uh, it was really amazing for us just to see people who never saw or, or play our game yes to uh, getting the hang of it uh, so easily so uh, yes it was really awesome for us right and yeah sorry I was, I was just gonna say because um, you know your original question was whether it was procedural and um, I think Pat's answer to that was yes, which is kind of with the, the programmer's <laughs> understanding of what procedural means. So I just wanted to, like, kind of go back and, and kind of clarify that. So the way it, it works is the whole story is, is very much a designed story adventure that you go through. But the spells, um, because there's millions of potential combinations of spells that people can come up with, the way the spells are rendered and, and produced is solely based on what combination you come up with, and then the the game itself um, does all the calculation and and renders it uh, yes, we haven't procedurally. All the yeah, exactly. So yeah, so it would be impossible to hard code and hard animate all billion or so combinations of of spells that people could create. So. Um, so yeah, so the the system is smart enough to what it is the uh, the user puts in, in in a spell and creates it and and renders it on the fly. Right, and so um, what are the base elements and uh, how do you combine them? All right, that, well, um, if <laughs> if I for instance, if you wanted to start uh, uh, with. Uh, uh, designing a spell, for example, uh, I don't know if you guys played Dungeons and Dragons. For example, I, I know I played for years. It was also one of my big ins- inspirations. In Dungeons and Dragons, if you were uh, if you were asked to design a spell that would go right in the player's handbook, uh, you would usually be uh, us- usually be starting uh, with a, a template or. or uh, a very basic uh, spell that that you know kind of works or has a, a basic set of properties that you can start off of. Uh, for instance, if you want a, an offensive spell, you will you know either start from a magic missile if it uh, if it hits automatically or a fireball if it, if you need to to if, it, if it, uh, players need to roll for it, uh, etc. If you want uh, conjuration spells, there there are a set of rules for that too. So what? we started with uh, in our system is uh, we decided to have four 
of these templates. The, we call them focuses. Uh, the, the name is still work in progress, but it might change. What, what, we, uh, what these templates are, um, uh, are basically just a set of properties. So, so we have uh, an instantaneous effect called a melee. Uh, melee attack, which is basically a spell that that's, uh, that has a, a close range of effect and uh, acts in, uh, immediately, basically. Uh, we have one orb, which is a, um, a small uh, a small ball orb. of energy, you know, an orb, uh, and that will remain, uh, remain in action uh, as long as an enemy or object hits it, or the, the other way around. Uh, or for a dura uh, duration, for example, it won't last for more than five seconds or so. And then we have a conjuration, uh, conjuration spell type, which uh, lasts for a duration, but regardless of whether it hits people or targets or not. And our fourth uh, type of spell is the uh, cell spell, uh, so defensive spell, basically. So each, each one of these four spell types can be, uh, can be selected by the player and then uh, the player gets to choose all the properties and the behaviors that will go with them. For instance, uh, he might... Each of them are bind on the, on the, put on the controller, by the way. Yeah, yeah. We are, it's, a, it's, a good, it's, a good, uh, it's a good thing to, to add, uh, Felix, indeed. So, yes, all of these... And this is the, the fun thing of having four types only is that we bind them to the, the keys of the, uh, the keyboard or to the buttons on the, uh, the controller meaning that we ensure that the player always has a, a few offensive spells and one defensive spell at least equipped uh, at any time. So this, this makes it more accessible maybe for players who don't know what to do with the spell uh, system. And so uh, starting from there, once the player uh, decides what, what types of, of spells uh, spell he wants to create, he can choose an element for it uh, from uh, fire, water, uh, air and earth. Uh, our the air in our uh, world is uh, more like uh, transforming into an elect electrical or lightning kind of spell, while the uh, the uh, water, water one is more uh, leaning towards the cold or ice or snow. Uh, That's not super uncommon. Is Earth just physical, or does do you combine that with anything? It is Earth. Earth is 100% physical. Yeah, it's like rocks basically and, uh, and sand and uh, all of, all of that. And just uh, for you to know, there's five layers to the spell system, and we are at the second one. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're <laughs> yourself. The so uh, the, the the third layer is choosing the behaviors that we want to. Have. <laughs> for instance, my my fire orb usually just stands there. It's a fire. It, it just hovers uh, uh, in front of the player, and uh, unless you give it uh, a behavior, it's it's just that. So it's a mine basically. Uh, but if if you add it, for instance, the movement behavior, which is one of the most basic ones that you find in the game, then your fire orb becomes uh, it moves and it becomes some sort of fireball, and uh, and then and then you you can combine it or, or add uh, on top of that any other behavior that's in the in the list. Uh, there are uh, I think like uh, 12 or 13 that you can under just uh, use uh, stack or. Uh, uh, and, and and that's different for each of the spell types also. And Multi so you shot, could, explode, bounce, exactly. uh, teleport, you could, uh, yeah. You could, you could make your fireball split in two. Uh, you could make it, uh, you know, uh, be attracted to enemies and so on. And so the fourth layer is uh, a, a section we call the augments. And these, uh, these are kind of little uh, parameters that you can put on the behaviors that will modify the, the, the behavior itself. So for instance, if I take again the example of my moving fireball, uh, my, my moving orb, my fireball, 
if uh, I uh, if I use the the uh, the arguments, I could make that path that my fireball is is taking. I could make that path uh, lean to the left or right uh, curve, basically to the left or right. Or I could make it uh, move faster or slower. I could make it uh, move randomly or erratically. And be uh, really useful for environmental flows. Exactly, and that's 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 one that one uh, major point of uh, customization is that fourth layer because uh, depending on which behavior you put that augment uh, on, it will have a completely different effect. So, uh, for instance, if I put the left uh, augment on my my move, it's gonna it's gonna curve left. But if I put that on my multi shot, the split shot that uh, Lucidix mentioned, then it's gonna spray the shots to the left, uh, and, like instead of uh, just having them uh, move uh, in the parallel. So, so I imagine there are some some augments that work better with certain base things than others. Well, there are some some more uh, uh, obvious combinations, I think. But the, the fun thing about our game is that we're creating uh, puzzles that will require the player to think creatively and and come up with other combinations that he doesn't doesn't usually use for combat, like uh, more obscure ones. For example, a fireball that 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 moves at uh, you know in the in the reverse or the opposite direction that you're facing might not be super useful usually, but for a puzzle, eventually you might require to have that. So. Uh, so uh, we have all sorts of, of uh, actually what we do is we, we try to be as consistent as possible with the spell system so that player, players can actually create stuff, create spells that are completely useless, but at the same time will we'll make him understand better the way that each of these behaviors work and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll get him to, to, uh, to see when it's the right moment to use them. And at least it's gonna create beautiful fireworks. Oh yeah, at the yeah. very least. Yeah. yeah, and sometimes it's also very funny to watch some uh, some uh, weird spells in action. It's one a, a more uh, emergent aspect of the game that, that I think uh, is also very interesting. And so the the, the fifth and last uh, layer of, of spell uh, creation is the nested spell, uh, uh, nested spell system or feature, and that is more advanced. So it, it might be a, ver a very obscure or uh, because it's, it's not very, um, it's, but it's, it's not the very funnier easy. too. Yeah, yeah, it's not very easy to show uh, or to explain just just without showing you what what it does. But it, actually, you could see it, you could view it as a, a system of, of conditions or uh, or methods or functions in programming. So basically, what we're doing is we allow your spell to to cast some other spell uh, when when reaching a, a, a specific trigger. For instance, you could tell your fireball to cast some other spells when it hits. Uh, you could cast it. You could uh, ask it to cast another fireball that goes in the opposite direction when you when you hit an enemy, thus creating a boomerang. But you could also create, for instance, a wall of fire when it hits something, or you could have your wall of fire shoot fireball uh, at regular intervals. So these are all things that can be done, which are and the fifth layer here is really really reminiscent of, of uh, programming languages, and that's where we really hit the spot when we presented that at back. I think that's where that's where we we scored some serious points with the players, and that it, it really got us excited. Yeah, uh, but it's still pretty intuitive to to use. Uh, oh yeah. you, you can just play around with that, and you will see what happens. So you don't have to uh, you, you don't you, you don't need to uh, have an ache about that. It's just uh, uh, okay. Let's try this. So all the spells that you create uh, are recorded in your spell book. So we have up to uh, six spells for each. Uh, uh, spell categories that uh, Pat mentioned at first, and uh, a spell can cast any of those spells too. So uh, 
this isn't that hard, but this is uh, better explained when you can see it. Yeah. And did you go to PAX this year? Yeah, of course we were there. You mean the PAX, uh, PAX West? Yes, uh, PAX West. Yeah. Both, it, both uh, yes, actually. Yeah, we were, yeah, exactly. We were at, at PAX Boston and PAX Seattle this year, so we were super excited, except that uh, in Boston, we were not um, the, the the spell system was not as advanced as as it, as it is now. So we I think we we uh, we were able to uh, learn a lot uh, from from what we showed that back there. But uh, in Seattle, uh, yeah, we were there and we had a blast. Well, that's good to hear. Totally. Yeah, uh, we had this mention at Pax Boston, like uh, best in the game uh, of Pax. So we were pretty happy about that uh, from uh, Gamers Nexus. Thank you guys and. Uh, um, the Structoid, uh, one of the writers of the Structoid, told that it was the most interesting game at PAX at all. So <laughs> we were, yes, uh, pretty touched by uh, that because we worked very hard in that game. So uh, uh, now we know that we have a great reception and uh, all the hard work, uh, yes. Uh, yeah. And while our audience can't see the game, uh, but it's a very visually striking game. Like, yeah, like um, so. I would recommend for for people who have no idea what what we're talking about, um, <laughs> I'd recommend they they check out our website, uh, magesofmistralia dot com. Um, we actually have a couple of trailers up there and some other kind of like visual uh, gifs or gifs, depending on your your religion about that sort of thing. <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so you can kind of get a sense of the art style. Also, uh, we never even mentioned um, on our website. We actually also have uh, a new web comic that we started producing, um, and that um, that's done in a different art style. But um, since I'm mentioning about the website, um, we actually have uh, so far we're up to nine pages, and um, at, twice a week we're updating the storyline that gives kind of the whole backstory of the world of Mistralia. So, um, you know, that, that thing when I was talking about the, the foundations of the story at the beginning when I said that magic is known to exist, but it's illegal, this, uh, this backstory kind of goes into the reasons why it's illegal and what happened and, and all of that. And um, what kind of engine are you using for uh, mages here? Is it uh, being built in Unity or...? Yes, Unity, Unity, yes. It was the best engine for us because uh, uh, they don't take share, um, uh, just like Unreal does, 5% share, so this is uh, very good. But also Unity uh, uh, save us a lot of money uh, just because of the asset store. You can uh, find this very good uh, pathfinding plugin that will cost you 60 bucks but will have take uh, more than six months to our programmer to uh, program. So uh, uh, for all these reasons, yes, uh, we choose Unity. Uh, we don't say that uh, it's going to be uh, the same engine for uh, every game that we're going to create, but uh, uh, totally, uh, so far, we really like Unity. Actually, I'm teaching Unity at university, so uh, uh, I already knew, uh, knew this engine, so, uh, and a lot of people working there too, so it was pretty straightforward just to uh, start using Unity, but also for uh, the other reason that I just mentioned. Hmm. Yeah, the, 
we have a lot of developers who work on Unity on this program, and they all mentioned that uh, Unity is a very easy engine to work with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, totally. Not as easy as uh, Virtual used to be, if you know uh, this one, uh, which was more a programming language, or like Blueprint uh, uh, in Unreal, but uh, still, this is a very e easy uh, uh, engine to work with. Uh, you have a lot of documentation, a very great community, uh, so um, whenever you have a question, uh, and 95% sure that someone already asked it, so uh, you can uh, uh, find you, your answer uh, really fast. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot of advantage uh, using Unity. And have you encountered any uh, disadvantages with the with Unity thus far? Yeah, uh, um, we can tell. Why go go fast? Oh well. Uh, I, I just wanted to say, I think that uh, any engine uh, has its, its upsides and, and downsides, and uh, uh, Unity is one that has so many advantages that it's, uh, it, of course, it, it kind of dilutes all of the, 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 the negative aspects of it uh, real quickly, but uh, mm -hmm. uh, there is one thing, however, that, that uh, developers need to know about Unity is that if they plan on uh, ramping up their team and getting, uh, you know, and creating a big, really big game. Um, it's 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 usefulness kind of drops eventually, I think, because of its uh, lack of um, of uh, because it, actually because its 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 biggest strength is also its biggest uh, its its biggest wow. flaw, meaning that uh, when you when you uh, you work in Unity, you're able to do a lot of things very quickly and uh, efficiently without having to know too much about programming uh, so you can be just a you know, very basic programmer uh, or scripter and do uh, basically a whole game except that when you work with a lot of people at the same time in a large group of, of people it's easy to break stuff it's easy to um, it's easy to, to, to uh, create scripts that will break other people's scripts or that will render some of your scenes or objects obsolete because they're because the your the new scripts you will make will not have been uh have been thought as uh backward compatible uh, behaviors and uh, so it 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 kind of uh, starts a whole do, uh, domino chain of of uh of, of problems in in the project and and this is maybe the the, the biggest uh, the biggest issue with, with this engine it yeah. may be a, a very a very big problem also and that that comes to a surprise to most uh, to most uh, developers I think it came to a surprise uh, as a surprise to us actually. But so, for uh, their defense, uh, they they are trying to catch up. Uh, uh, they yeah. add this feature called the multi scene. So uh, uh, before you you were working on one huge scene only. Now you can split uh, everything in multiple scenes that are loaded at the same time. So uh, there's that people can work like on the same level, but on their own scene that will be connected to the other one form just one level. So it. They're trying to like to split thing a little bit apart, so uh, it's more uh, friendly when you want to create uh, a game with a huge team. And uh, there's the 
this new feature called uh, I think collaborate or, or collabor or something yep. like this. I don't remember. Uh, we're not using uh, it uh, uh, in the office because uh, uh, our pipeline is set and uh, we don't want to change anything. Everything is going good so far. But, but uh, when I were at PAX, uh, other developers told me that they were using this and that it was really helpful to uh, uh, yes to help working uh, with a big team with Unity. So uh, I can't wait to try it on our next project. But uh, uh, yes, uh, they're trying to catch up. So uh, I'm very just to see uh, how it will go uh, in one, two, three years, and uh, the next year is coming. Mm -hmm. And um, how many people are working on the game right now? Like okay, seventeen. So, we, so we're seventeen uh, today. Yeah, but we we've uh, our uh, our team was uh, was much smaller than that when we started the production. Yeah. We started off with a team of, uh, of we were we were nine actually yeah. uh, we could say, we could say 10 if we counted the uh, a very uh, uh, you know uh, part-time uh, guy uh, for, for the music uh, at the time Antoine was really uh, just helping us out once in a while but uh, uh, we're uh, we ramped up recently uh, right after PAX Boston where we uh, we said okay like we, we got something let's just uh, Let's just uh, nail the magic system. We, we gotta finish some content. We 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 got out there and got some additional funding also to help us with that, and we ramped up to 17. So that's that's how that's the the team we're, that we're gonna use to gold the game. We're still uh, we're still hiring a little bit more, but it's more for uh, either administration or next uh, next projects. But uh, for mages of Mistral, that's that's it. 17 warriors, 17 mages. Yeah. Yeah, that we love from our art. Very hard worker, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Actually, yeah. we're really proud of our team. We have a yeah. very, very good team. Uh, very hard at work. So, yeah. yeah. So, 17 is the answer. <laughs> I know. Hmm. Uh, 17 is uh, one of the bigger uh, like indie teams uh, working on a game. Yeah, the, the, game the, does the, seem fairly, the game does seem fairly ambitious, so... Yeah, there's this thing with games that uh, I'm always telling my students, I don't know if I will add it right in English, but uh, a game, uh, when you think about it before uh, starting to produce it, uh, you have this idea in, in uh, this is only 50% or the half of the game. The other half is the game that is telling yourself what it wants to be. So you have to listen to your game. Uh, the thing that you have in your head at first is more like of uh, an experience that you want to bring into the reality uh, uh, to the player. So uh, since uh, Mages, uh, uh, we call it Mages, but this is Mages Australia that I'm talking about, since Mages uh, uh, is kind of game that uh, showed us so many promises when we finally nailed the start of them and those things. The game just needed uh, more people to work on to achieve the experiences that uh, we had in mind at first. So uh, this is why we ramped up the team, not because we your game or just being more people around. So uh, this is what the game needed and uh, now we're 17. but. Uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, my banker will tell me that 17 is enough, actually. So, uh, we'll see 17 for now <laughs> until we that, Yeah, the that's, that's the other side of the equation, is that man hours aren't free. Yeah, nope. Exactly. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, we we're pretty lucky to uh, uh, succeed to uh, find all the, the necessary funds to uh, ramp up the team uh, so, so that we can really create uh, uh, the game that we had in mind and uh, what we just needed to be. So uh, thank you uh, everyone, the, they will uh, recognize them uh, to having helping us up. And uh, so far we're pretty confident in the, the, the game, which is a good thing. So. Uh, Uh, we now know that uh, it was a good move to do, but uh, uh, along the production, uh, sometimes this is very hard to just manage all that stuff and uh, growing and taking more risk because you really believe in your in your game, but uh, until it's uh, near to a completion, just uh, like uh, right now, you never know. This is always a big bet to uh, dig into game, and uh, other developers that are listening to us they will understand what I, I'm talking about, I'm pretty sure. Um, no doubt, uh, no doubt. Dan. Uh, as a bit of a side question, uh, Dan, how did you get attached to this project? So, um, yeah, so I was contacted by, I think it was uh, Felix who first reached yeah. out to me, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, so I, um, I actually get quite a few inquiries from time to time, um, you know, and, um, but when Felix described the game to me, it actually reminded me a lot of this idea that I had like 10 years ago for a game I really wanted to see made, which was, um, so back when I was working on the Wii, I kind of wanted to make a Harry Potter style game where the way you move the magic wand around, you know, the Wii remote would translate into, you know, different spells on the fly. And so I was thinking, wow, wouldn't it be cool if you could create a language for making magic spells and the the more fluent you are in this language the the more creative the spells you could create and um i didn't realize the limitations of this was this was before the Wii launched and i was just kind of coming up with ideas for it um and so when they kind of described the game that they were working on i was immediately intrigued and and uh they sent me a build and the the spell creation system at the time was still very uh primitive compared to what it is today um you could find some you know you could attach certain runes and it would do something but it was nowhere near it it had nowhere near the depth that it has now but i could see a lot of the potential so i was very excited for it um and yeah so that's that's kind of um how it started that's kind of how all of my projects started um so for for any of your listeners who have absolutely no idea who I am. Um, I, I, I kind of work on the business side of several indie video games, including, uh, so I've got three right now, Axiom Verge, Chasm, and now Mages of Mistralia. And so I do kind of all the business development and the marketing. And so um, a lot of times on an indie team, there's not enough... Um, stuff for a full-time business person to do so they don't want to have like a dedicated full-time business person um because sometimes they're super busy but sometimes they're super not busy and so by having three projects at any one time i can be pretty busy all of the time with all three of the the different games and so um so yeah so um they uh uh reached out to me and I got to play around with it. And uh, the more we talked, the more 
I really liked the direction that the team was going, and um, they they uh, didn't have a lot of experience with uh, kind of the business side of games, so it worked mm-hmm. out to be a, a perfect fit. Yeah, I agree. That's good to hear. Um, you know, as somebody who is a broadcaster of uh, game games, especially indie games, I, I actually deal with a lot of indie PR and stuff, and in today's day... In the world of today, indie PR is a lot more needed than uh, I think a lot of people think that, that it's yeah. Not, uh, because, well, there's just so many games out there now. Okay. Yes, uh, when I, I launched uh, some of one of my first game back in 2013, I didn't uh, do any marketing. I just uh, put it on Steam to uh, add uh, 300,000 copies sold. So. It was, it was a just that. Uh, it was a, a different era. era. Yeah, yeah. What, what, yeah. So I, I had to warn, warn them. Like times have changed since that time. So, <laughs> um, so hopefully we'll still have a similar success. But, um, yeah. but we're gonna ha- we would have to work harder for it. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. With the with the amount of games there are now. Yeah. Yeah. But, absolutely. But see, publicity can be. Even it, a great it, game can be have trouble if it's not. I I know, and this is just the the one of the uh, maybe more most uh, or one of the saddest thing about uh, indie uh, development nowadays. Uh, if I open uh, Steam right now and I look at uh, the uh, the new releases for uh, for the, the day of uh, no, the the ninth of, uh, of, of September, so today, I see like 24, 25 new releases. So I don't know how you can expect. You know, uh, an indie game to and, and like three of these are are like double uh, A AA or triple A games, so uh, it's very hard to uh, to for an indie game to to uh, to get out there. Uh, usually, what we see uh, is uh, you know once in a while you you get you have a, an indie game that that succeeded very well. Uh, it kind of hits a, a, a gold vein and it, it goes well, but uh, you know there's a little bit it seems a little bit of luck. A little bit of opportunism, and uh, and sometimes it's good to have someone uh, who knows how to to uh, how to uh, maybe put the odds in your favor so that that you can so that you can jump on an opportunity when there's one and you can't see it. Uh, and so this is why, uh, like you're saying, uh, PR. Uh, you know, indie games nowadays are indie games are, are 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 games, and games are products that are sold by companies. So basically. Uh, even if you're indie, you're you're a small business, and you need to think like a business in some in some uh, in some respect. Oh, indeed. Um, there was an essay about this about a year ago. I've uh, wrote it off the top of my head, but it's it's like it's you can no longer just have like a good game and put it out there. There's no. so much white noise. It's like um, you know you've had. We've had indie successes recently, like Undertale or Stardew Valley, and the like. Mm-hmm. But you know, th- these are games that stood out for a reason. You know, it's like th- there's not like anything um, like it. Mm-hmm. Word of mouth hit, but uh, you know, I'm not saying your game is like other games, but it's like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like if you put, if you put a game out there, it might just drown. I totally understand what you mean. Yeah. So, yeah, and that that that's the big fear, and and I I really like the way um, Pat put it earlier that, um, you know, basically what we really want to do is try to maximize our 
probability of success. There's no way to guarantee it. And, no. you know, even if there's a game like, uh, you know, like Undertale, which um, had a, I think most people, including Toby Fox, would have said uh, a fairly low probability of success. I think I've I've read some interviews with him where he expected to put it out on Steam and it would it would do nothing and like it would get a a couple seven out of tens from some no name blogs and then disappear forever. That's that was his expectation, um, and it just blew up. Um, so it was a low, you know. I think he would argue um, that it was a low probability event that he was that successful, but. It it wound up being successful. Likewise, there are a lot of games that, you know, try really hard to do absolutely everything right, um, and you know, despite having all the the right pieces, um, just can't seem to you know get traction for whatever reason. And so, um, you know, there is there is definitely a luck factor having the right person uh, talking about the game at the right time. Um, you know, the timing, all of that. Um, so there's no, there's no science to it. The best we can do is just try to avoid um, obvious mistakes, try to do our best to kind of get the word out and also explain uh, what's special about our game because it's, it's very... Uh, the game, uh, Mages of Australia, is, is actually a very deep game. Um, and sometimes, you know, just describing it in one sentence like, you know, it's a spell where you can design your own spells. Um, you know, makes people kind of get it, but it only really <laughs> scratches the surface. So, so you know, that's kind of the hook where people, you know, if they're interested in that sort of thing, might start paying attention. But, yeah, the, you know, the next step is then to show them kind of what the game looks like and how mm-hmm. it plays and, um, and get them, uh, you know, to see the potential of what it means when we say you can design your own spells. So um, usually, uh, um, by the way, the, the way, the, the thing that has uh, gotten people most interested, it seems, is when I describe it as uh, Legend of Zelda meets Harry Potter. And most people, like when I say that, even though I hate when people describe their games like that, um, <laughs> I think a lot of people immediately sit up and like, well, I like Harry Potter and I like Legend of Zelda, so let me let me hear more about your game. So, uh mm-hmm. But yeah, um, it's it's a tough business out there right now. A lot has been written about the indie apocalypse and how difficult difficult it is. I know of a lot of really talented developers who have left the industry, um, which is frankly pretty sad because uh, some of them were making some really creative, interesting uh, things that now they won't be making anymore. You know, you know what the uh, indie scene uh, reminds me of? The indie gaming scene. It reminds me of the uh, musical scene. If you you start a rock band, uh, you're you're gonna start you know very, very garage underground uh, music, and uh, you get a, you get the chance to uh, to open for a really big band in a venue somewhere, and then you you and then you know you strike uh, strike gold, and uh, things start going well for you. But it's it, it's really it's really that. It's a lot of pe- of talented people. Too many talented people people for what the market can uh, can absorb and that's I think uh, in a way good because it drives the quality of games that the players uh, get to, to play uh, it drives it up and uh, and players uh, get to play uh, you know uh, exponentially good games as as the industry progresses and uh, in, in a sense that that's that's cool 
And, you know, it's it's interesting you mentioned that because it's similar to a thought I've had, and and I would actually expand it not only to um, to music, but pretty much any creative uh, enterprise. Like yeah. the, the the term "starving artist" has been around for a long time for a reason, and I think that's because a lot of people really love to create. So, every, you know, lots of people, if given the choice and given like a stable income would of course choose to, you know, just to do nothing but create um, and be artists. And that's why you see a lot of YouTubers now, you see a lot of um, Twitch streamers, you see a lot of artists, musicians, um, you know, podcasts are another one. Um, The whole webcomics area that we're kind of dipping Mm -hmm. our toe into. Um, Mm -hmm. There's just a lot of people who um, are kind of doing it for free um, just because they love doing it. And uh, photography is another one. I have a friend who's yeah. a professional photographer, and he was saying, you know, there's just so many photographers. So, um, yeah, I think uh, for a long time, video games were somewhat immune from that because the barriers to entry were so high. It was very difficult uh, to learn how to program games. It was very difficult uh, to learn, you know, to get the equipment. It was very expensive to get uh, development kits for consoles. Um, so there were these barriers that people just, there was also no way to distribute games until like five or 10 years ago. Um, so for a long time, even if people wanted to make games, they really couldn't get started um, unless they joined a large company to do it. But now that, you know, Unity, um, you know, the, the basic Steam. version of Unity is free, everyone can post their games on Steam or iOS or Android or even the consoles are very, you know, relatively easy to get onto. Um, you know, it's it's uh, we're kind of getting to the point where video games are similar to many other forms of uh, types of art, um, where lots of people want to do it, and there's just not enough uh, consumers of art to offset the, um, you know, all of the people who want to produce art. It's very possible, you know. It's like, I, it's like I don't know at, at what point um, that all intersects and in the indie apocalypse actually takes place, because you know, as noted, it's it hasn't been easy to develop games uh, since uh, probably the early days of computers, and even then, it's like you, you kind of had to be into computers to make games back then. Uh, uh, but you know, and there are initiatives and you know you've got the console makers who will promote um, games that they are interested in like the Nindies promotion that's going on right now mm-hmm. yeah. so and you know th- there are like um, the, the big publishers are getting into uh, indie publishing uh, you know, uh, like EA's doing that and Square Enix mm-hmm. uh, there are avenues Anyway, getting back to the game itself. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, now, this is being done in conjunction with Ed Greenwood, correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah. Pretty happy, actually, yeah, yeah. that Ed Greenwood is part of this. Uh, I read a lot of uh, his book uh, when I was younger, and uh, uh, I still do uh, from time to time. And yes, uh, a lot of people are asking us uh, how 
do uh, how we had convinced uh, Edwin Wood to be part of, of this because uh, uh, for those pe for the people who don't know Ed, Ed is the creator of the most popular Dungeons and Dragon the world called the Forgotten Realms and which happened the Baldur's Gate never really uh, the guy is uh, just by himself sold over 250 million books around the world. So, uh, uh, but uh, this is pretty simple. Uh, we just showed him uh, our magical spell system, and he, he was really excited about this—the fact that we mail out to really create magic and nothing is hard coded. So, was hard coded. So, uh, uh, this is how uh, he made the jump with us. And uh, yes, it was. Uh, a huge party here uh, in the studio uh, when <laughs> he told us that. Uh, so uh, yes, he is the one in charge of all the lore and uh, uh, the story and the dialogue uh, and all of this. Right. Yeah. yeah it, it it was kind of interesting. Like um, you know, um, Felix and Pat told me that they really wanted to work with Ed Greenwood on this. They had some ideas for the story. So I went to Ed Greenwood's website just to find out how to get in touch with him. And I guess we weren't alone because he's got, if you go to his website, he actually has a, a form, um, basically like a, a whole document you have to fill out about why you want to work with him, um, what your, you know, what your project is and, you know, all of this stuff. Um, so I think I wrote up like two or three pages and I sent it back and forth yeah. to, to Felix and Pat, like, is this right? Am I characterizing this right? And, and we polished it up, and and we kind of submitted it, and hoped for the best. And I wasn't sure if he would even respond after all of that work, um, but he did get back to us. And um, yeah, like as as Felix said, he was very excited about the game. Um, you know, kind of also as, as Felix mentioned, he's not new to having his uh, his ideas in video games, like the whole Forgotten Realms world that he created was the foundation for games like Baldur's Gate and Neverwinter Nights and, and several other games. Um, basically, a lot of Dungeons & Dragons-themed uh, uh, games as well. So, um, uh, so yeah, so um, usually I think he's been very active in the AAA scene, so this may very well be the first indie game he's working on. And how long has he been working on the project? Oh, good question. He started, uh, he started working with us at the beginning of this year. Maybe we uh, at the at the time where where we uh, we contacted him, we had a prototype of a spell system, and we had one le uh, one demonstration level, and that's all, that's all. That that's that's what we had. Uh, we had some broad uh, or ge one general idea of what we wanted as a story. Uh, we had a little bit of lore fleshed out. Yeah, I, I think it's been maybe one year ago. Uh, yes, one year. Mm, right, and but uh, he finished writing everything now, so uh, yeah. we're just putting all this stuff in the game, actually. Creating the cutscene and uh, all that. So like he's done like all, with all the world. Yeah, because w w one of the problems with our our game is, uh, like I was saying, it's a very it's uh, it all started from an experience we wanted to to share with players. That is, uh, we want to make them feel that they understand what mad magic is and what the mechanisms for using magic is. And if you if you've read uh, uh, Ed Greenwood's uh, uh, books, 
or or uh, Jordan uh, Jordan what uh, what's the, the the wheel of time uh, um, uh, Robert Jordan. Was, Robert Jordan. Uh, thank you. I almost said Michael Jordan. I was uh, it's another, <laughs> it's and, uh, a little known so, third career. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and now that we know, we must be silenced, right? <laughs> <laughs> And so these guys uh, describe magic often as um, magical energies that we weave. And so there, there seems to be uh, an awful lot of uh, logic and um, technique, technique to uh, how to uh, how to craft spells. And uh, and so that that's that's exactly the problem we had. We, we didn't have the setting and the background and explanation and context for why and how this would work. And uh, so uh, we had an idea that it might have something to do with. Um, with uh, the stars or with constellations, because our yeah. because our uh, uh, creation system, the, the way it's mapped out, like visually, kind of reminded of uh, uh, constellations in the in the, in the sky. So we, that's that was a pretty much the the only, uh, or maybe not the only one, but the 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 core uh, the core idea that we we uh, that we asked uh, Ed Greenwood to to work around uh, or to. Um, to uh, to ex- to exploit, and uh, so and he, he did, and so he helped uh, you know developing all the, the 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 background story. So what happened years before, why, uh, what uh, what characters, uh, what important characters uh, uh, used magic before, and why they're not uh, they're not there anymore, and uh, uh, how is it that mages are not uh, welcome in the uh, the kingdom anymore, and 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 so it it, it helped us. Um, build uh, it, it helped us build the content for it really because we we would never have been able to to uh, to build a decent adventure across we have what uh, maybe 13, 13 areas or, or, or so yeah. uh, that we can explore uh, you know uh, you wouldn't play for example a Legend of Zelda if you didn't feel if you didn't feel that all the each zone is kind of linked at, uh, or uh, tied to a a, a very uh, a, a large master plan that, that, word, yeah. that makes a lot of sense, and you know there's there's a reason for uh, each of these zone uh, uh, for each zone to have uh, uh, NPCs that that interact with you know in certain certain ways towards the player, and um, and that that's that's why that's why it's so so awesome to have uh, to have a guy like uh, Greenwood work yeah, with us because, because because he has experience with with building worlds and that that's what, what that's what he's doing uh, more so worlds uh, involving magic uh, so uh, so we were yeah we you know that uh, a little bit yeah mm. uh, <laughs> pretty much that is um, truly neat and keen now it's like getting to work with such a renowned yeah I, I I was I was very um, I, I I wouldn't say surprised that he wanted to to to, to uh, yeah because to, uh, we have a great game work, yeah but but, but but no, no it, it's not that it surprised me it's just that it, it intimidated me that that's, that's yeah yeah I, I like uh, I told myself well this is happening now what the heck you know I I hope the game is gonna be uh, up to his expectations because he's never gonna speak to me again, <laughs> you know? And he's like, uh, like Felix said, an author that I, I read before and uh, I played some D&D uh, when I was a kid, so I, I kinda, you know, I kinda feel that, uh, you know, he's, he, he forged a way for my own career and, uh, and so, uh, so I, I respect the man a lot. I can imagine. There are 
There's also uh, another thing that uh, I'm very excited about uh, uh, that is coming for majors of Australia is that uh, uh, our music composer Antoine uh, has this uh, his idol uh, who is called Shota is the guy who orchestrated the, mu the music for Final Fantasy XV and uh, he just sent out uh, the soundtrack of Majors of Australia to this guy and this guy just uh, told uh, Antoine that he, he wanted to record all the songs for Majors of Australia so uh, we're going to Boston uh, to meet his orchestra and all the soundtrack will be recorded by him so uh, this is another pretty cool thing that uh, I wouldn't have to leave uh, as day one if Antoine told me that so uh, I think this is pretty cool so <laughs> we'll surely release an LP of that or something like this Wow, uh, you're going to work with the Boston Symphony Orchestra? Exactly, yes. That's impressive. Uh, Pretty cool. Yeah. We're going to send you guys pictures of the recording sessions, for sure. <laughs> uh, it'd be good to see them. Um, yeah, one of our crew here is um, doesn't live in Boston, but he's pretty close to Boston. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So you're used to, uh, yes, we sent them. Alex? Yes. Yeah, it's within day trip range at least. Okay. Uh, uh, let me see. So this game has like four areas, uh, correct? Thirteen. Yeah. Um, and they're being built concurrently, according to your blog post. Well, uh, we are. Uh, we kind of already. Uh, yeah, we we could say that we we kind of work iteratively. That's that's one thing we do. Uh, you know, in the uh, in the process of uh, well, not only for Midges of Australia, but something that that we we really uh, think is important as uh, developers and designers. It's uh, working iteratively to make so so. Yes, it, it's make it's important that all. Of the the areas that we create, uh, kind of uh, are are being done concurrently, and uh, uh, that we are able to to uh, to uh, uh, maybe learn and uh, how to to do things better while working on other levels, so that when we come back to the first level, we can uh, uh, polish it further. And uh, I think that that's the only way that you can make a very uh, very polished game. Now, are you? Uh are you actually designing um, the levels, or are those being procedurally generated as well? No, the levels are all uh, designed. Uh, the uh, like uh, Dan said, we we wanted the spell system to be um, to be uh, you know to allow for a lot of, of different uh, possibilities, and uh, we uh, the best way to make that work, uh, make that make the players understand how to use each as they discovered it was to create some sort of, you know, Metroidvania kind of progression where we unlock a room, uh, we, uh, we face or encounter puzzles or situations that uh, require us to use that room in a new spell, and then we, we open up a new path uh, because of those, those uh, puzzles solved, and then we, we you know, and, uh, and the loop goes on. So we discover another one, and, and you progress to, through the game always... Uh, you know, uh, encountering very specifically designed situations, and and at the end of the game, we kind of have a more open-ended uh, area where the players can can explore and uh, fight monsters uh, that that in a way that will appear less uh, less uh, maybe uh, I wouldn't say less designed, but less uh, maybe less 
predictable? Predictable, yeah, that, that's actually the, the right word. Uh, and so uh, we try to challenge the player with new situations because at that point he'll, he'll be really, really good with the spell system. So we really want him to still feel challenged and uh, be surprised by new, new areas, new, new rooms. Yes, and also to control the experience. This is, uh, it was important for us just to make this uh, emotion, uh, emotional charge that we make uh, the Gerfus players so by designing the level uh, in that way we can uh, really uh, handle uh, all this uh, growth and the emotional charge and uh, for the reason that Patrick just uh, said to hmm. It was a little bit jumbled but yeah it seems like you have good reasons for not wanting the areas to be procedurally generated and I think um, I think sometimes procedural generation of stages is something that people do because it's an easier way to get variety. But when you have the variety built in with the spell system that you guys have, uh, it's probably better to have some static uh, yeah. stuff to yes, play around with. You don't with want that your end. game to be a pizza with uh, every ingredient and uh, add something. So uh, <laughs> uh, this is very important, yes, to choose your combat. But uh, anyway, just uh, try to imagine uh, Zelda game uh, procedurally generated. It wouldn't be a Zelda. So there's uh, those kind of game in, in which you cannot put that. But uh, I think uh, your point is uh, really right. Uh, it, it will be. It was mean I think a little bit too much to also uh, put the word procedurally generated. You're right. Mm. Yeah, I think like some some of the things that we're trying to accomplish is, um, you know, kind of like uh, Felix was saying about kind of like a Zelda style experience where, um, where as you collect more and more runes and you can uh, create more and more complicated spells, we're we're actually designing a lot of puzzles that will test that ability. So, for example, um, you know, you can imagine going into a dungeon area where you know you're blocked by a wall but there's a switch kind of around this uh around this wall and you don't have a direct line of sight um so what you'll have to do is design a spell that will maybe shoot out from your left side curve around to the right and then explode and then drop down you know boulders on top of it or i'm, I'm just making this up right now but um, but you, you can, can do imagine. that in the game, actually. Yeah, you could totally do that in the game. <laughs> uh, that's why I was kind of coming up with that example. Um, but, yeah, if we don't create the situation where you would need to create that, that spell, um, then, you know, you're just randomly throwing stuff in a spell creation tool to see what happens, which is a lot of fun, and that's what the, a lot of the combat can, can come down to, is just, you know, making as badass a spell as you can. But... Um, we also want it to be a very uh, cerebral experience where people, you know, get to a situation and they have to think through, all right, what, what do I really need, you know, what do I need to do? How do I make sure that this chain of events happens and, and then I can, you know, hit the switch or I can do whatever it is I need to do um, in order to proceed? And, and that just wouldn't work if, it, if, the, uh, if the world was just procedurally lit. So, you know, one of the things when we mention about, like, the spells being procedurally rendered, you know, the, the point uh, I was trying to emphasize earlier is that it's procedural only in the sense that 
they're not um, every combination of spell that you could create isn't pre-designed so there's actually going to be a lot of spells that people come up with and potentially solutions to the puzzles that people come up with that uh, we haven't predicted um, in fact I'm sure of it because at PAX East and PAX people were already creating crazy spells that I had never thought to do and it was just really fun to watch and again, there won't be just like one spell you have to do for a solution. There will be plenty of free choice in exactly what you do to. Yep, yeah. Well, well, the, the, the uh, it's a, it was a um, it was a challenge coming up with that, but uh, or, or trying to nail that aspect. But uh, we uh, start off, you know, in the game as with having puzzles that are more straightforward and uh, call for a more direct or obvious solution. And as the player progresses, these uh, these puzzles become more and more complex, but also more and more open-ended, meaning that the players can uh, use uh, different or alternative uh, solutions uh, with their spell crafting. And uh, this, I think, makes the the, the makes the game uh, unique. And we also have this uh, challenge mode uh, mode. Uh, uh, in the last part of the game, which we call the Dark Tower, which is uh, pretty much uh, uh, 50 floors in which you have to be uh, really intellectual uh, uh, to go through uh, for the people that uh, like this kind of challenge. Uh, we didn't want to, uh, being, to, to be too intellectual. You can be creative during the game, but not too intellectual because on the critical path to make it through the game, there are a lot of different kind of players uh, there up there. So. Uh, uh, we didn't want to do that, but we had those crazy ideas that if we figure it out how to solve those kind of puzzles, uh, it will be really exciting for the players. So we put them all in the dark tower uh, by the end of the game. So this is not a mandatory uh, path that you need to use, but more like a challenge for the player who likes to think deeper about the spell creation. Hmm. And. Um Right, so we're getting close to the end here, so just a couple more questions. Um, how far along is the game at this point? I, I would uh, I would say that the game is alpha, very advanced alpha. We are uh, we want and we're we're we, we will. Able to, yeah, yeah, we 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 want to enter beta in December this year. Uh, meaning that we will uh, recruit uh, recruit uh, beta testers from uh, our uh, Facebook followers and uh, from uh, people uh, you know that that uh, follow our That's newsletter. Subscribe to our newsletter. Yeah. Uh, and we we want to to uh, recruit a, f a few uh, a few people to to help us. Well, a few maybe a uh, hundred or two hundred or so. Uh, just because uh, we we feel that uh, this game does not does not fit in a uh, early access kind of philosophy um, because uh, the, the, the game, you know, early access uh, games tend to have uh, people uh, comment uh, the game and criticize it before it's, uh, it's even launched, and uh, which is normal because you pay for it basically. So you want to, you know, you're entitled to to uh, to uh, to write yeah, in the, the forums and criticize it, and uh, that's fine. But uh, we 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 feel that uh, you know. Uh, a very good classic action adventure game would not be uh, would not be very interesting to play uh, unfinished, 
And so uh, we want to do that. We want to, to, to get to the beta and get to the bottom of things and uh, nail the balancing and all of that. And uh, we're not quite there yet. That's why I'm saying we're, we hope to get there by December. Uh, currently, I would say that the, the status of the game is uh, alpha. We can play from beginning to end, but uh, there, are, there are bugs and uh, there are some little elements of frustration here and there that we want to get rid of before getting a, a lot of players uh, to, to play it. Nothing that can't be fixed, but uh, there's yeah. still uh, some work to do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and one of the reasons that we're going to need a lot of people you know, kind of banging on it and, and testing it out is that, like I said before, there are so many things that you could do in the game that it's going to be really difficult to test every, you know, every combination of things that people might do. As basically, as the um, the game progresses and you have more and more runes and more and more mana, the um, the range of things that people can do increases exponentially because you, if you have only one rune, there's only really uh, four places you can put it, like one in each of the four different spell categories, and that's fairly easy to test. But then if you add a second rune, then automatically you... It's not that you have eight, it's got, you've got, like, potentially 16 things to test, and, and so on. So, you know, the, the uh, range of things, and mathematically, it probably doesn't work out exactly uh, uh, like an exponent, but it, it basically the the scale just increases so dramatically that uh, mm -hmm. we're going to want a lot of people trying out things that, you know, we, you know, approaching things the way that we're not, uh, because I think a lot of us have played around with the game so long. We, we have kind of our go-to spells of how we uh, want to do things. Um, and then when we put it in somebody else's hands, they, they see it in a very different way and they approach it in a different way. And, And that's really where what's so exciting about it. I think um, once it launches, um, I'm really excited excited to watch Twitch players uh, play it, um, just because people will come up with some crazy ideas. And I think like fans of uh, you know the you know the popular Twitch broadcasters are going to have fun like encouraging them like you know put this here, try this, you know see if you can do that, and just you know watching what happens there's so much that emerges from that indeed and um this is like you're going to be on track for 2017 that's yeah. the plan that's the plan yeah. um we, we will of course we're we're going to ship it when it's ready um but uh yeah the, i mean it's it's funny so i as you know i work on three different games mm -hmm. um axiom verge chasm and mages of mistralia um yeah. Felix and, and Pat, of course, only work on Mages of Australia. Um, but Axiom Verge was just one person. Chasm is five people. And so yep. a lot of times uh, new builds, uh, you know, when both of those games are in development, Chasm's still in development, uh, new builds often take a while. 17, it's like, you know, almost every week, like, boom, here's a new area that's done. Boom, here's, a, you know... A, the UI for the spell system is complete. It's, it's just amazing um, how much faster development goes, uh, not only when you add more people, because sometimes just adding more people doesn't help, but um, I think uh, Pat and Felix have done a really good job of 
pointing everyone in the right direction and coordinating all of the moving parts to make sure that progress, uh, steady progress is being made. It's just really exciting to watch it go from where it was. God, I guess I've been working on this now uh, a year and a half, would you guys say? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's been a while, um, but just seeing where it was a year and a half ago and just how steadily progress is being made and improvements being made that it's, yeah, it's uh, it's a very different experience than working on a team of one or a team of five. Indeed. And uh, is this game going to be PC only? Or are you uh, looking to have it on consoles as well? Uh-huh. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's the cool thing. We, uh, we uh, recently... Uh, uh, started uh, telling people that we uh, we were uh, going to uh, box uh, one for sure, and we're working also on a PS4 build. Uh, and then our our goal is to have uh, PC Steam, uh, Xbox One, and PlayStation 4 at the same time when we launch. Uh, I hope this is gonna be this is what will happen. This is our our goal, and uh, and we even uh, started. Thinking Thinking of other platforms as well, uh, post-launch, um, you know, uh, we've been asked for a Linux uh, or Mac version a lot, a lot uh, and there are more consoles out there that, w- that would uh, make the game look great, especially the um, uh, controlled uh, console, so we're, we, uh, we're not saying no, we're, uh, we're completely uh, uh, open to new, uh, new platforms and we, we are realistic also in the uh, and uh, seeing that how how good of a market that could be for us because uh, you know how we just talked earlier how hard it is for indies to um, to uh, be able to to get on top and uh, and uh, if your game is cross platform then it's it's uh, it's perhaps a little better change yeah 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 so um, one thing just to be clear we're not you know yet a hundred percent sure um, which whether we'll be able to hit all the consoles right at launch or if, like, we're going to have to prioritize one or the other. So we're still looking at all of that. So um, we should be making some announcements about the the specific consoles fairly soon. So once, yep. we, once we get a little bit more confirmation about all that um, on our side, about, you know, how everything's running and, um, and uh, yeah, and then we'll... Well, hopefully, though, uh, you know, as Pat said, we'd love to release it everywhere as quickly as possible. Mm. If if we had a magic wand like like Zia, <laughs> uh, we would we would create a build for every platform under the sun. <laughs> I can imagine. Well, um, well, I think that's about it. Um, uh, at least for me, uh, guys. Do you have any last questions for our guests here? Uh, really. No, I think you've answered all of my questions. No. I'm curious to see how the game develops, though. Same here. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, well, um, thank you all for stopping by. Uh, we're all looking Thank you very much. Yeah, no problem. Um, we're looking forward to the game. Hopefully we'll be able to review it when it comes out. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's like... Yeah. Uh, and if you guys want to see the progress, just uh, subscribe to our newsletter, uh, on our website at majorsmistralia.com or just follow us on Twitter uh, and Facebook. Yeah. I think that's the best way to uh, follow us. Okay. Um, 
All right, and uh, that'll about do it for this installment uh, of the show. Uh, be sure to tune in uh, this Sunday. We've got our we've got our next review coming up of Moving Soul Z. Uh, I've put in about six hours with this game. You know, it's like I haven't had that much time to put into it because, well, this week's been busy. But um, I, my opinion is formulating along. Let's just say that. Uh, let's see. And next week, um, next Tuesday, we'll be having a Howard Philpot of of Bulkhead Interactive. They are the creators of the Turing Test, um, a first person um, puzzle game. I think I mentioned on the Wednesday show. It's kind of like Portal without the portal. Right. And on Wednesday, we will be having um, John Smedley of Pixel Mage Games. Um, mentioned. Uh, great veteran of the industry, worked on EverQuest, uh, head of Sony Online Entertainment. A um, few months back, they had a Kickstarter for a game called Hero Song, which got canceled, but they're back, um, this time on Indiegogo, and so we're going to be talking about that. And as far as MSP goes, um, it's still on, but it could always be off at any given moment. So mm-hmm. yeah, we haven't heard anything new since then. We're probably about yeah at least five days too early to have any clue right. if anything would change. So until next time, I wish you good gaming.